We've been speaking on healing, just kind of taking a fresh approach to it, discovering new things. Uh, we started by looking at the book of Matthew, all the healing verses there. We saw that Jesus healed all kinds of sicknesses and disease and injuries and handicaps and even those diseases that were caused by demons. He healed those by removing the demon from the person's body. We also saw that in Matthew 8, he fulfilled Isaiah 53.4, which in Isaiah 53.4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken of God, smitten and afflicted. We saw that he fulfilled the first part of Isaiah 53.4 before the cross. Because as he began to heal all kinds of people, it says he did this to fulfill the prophecy that said he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So the cross is all about sin and forgiveness. Amen? Now indirectly that affects sickness because sickness came into the world. But on the cross, Jesus bore our sins. But we saw that before the cross, He bore our sicknesses and our infirmities. Who knows we serve the same Jesus today. He will heal the sick. We saw that He healed injuries, birth defects, all kinds of other things in the book of Matthew. We saw that he healed out of compassion. That he had compassion, which is sorrow, deep sorrow for the misfortune of another person. But it goes beyond that. It's accompanied by a strong desire to relieve the pain and remove the cause of the pain. And the beautiful thing about Christ's compassion is it's accompanied by his power. He's able to do some things. Sometimes we may feel compassion for somebody's need and we have that compassion for them but we're unable to fix their car that's broke down on the side of the road or whatever. I think in our own lives sometimes we have one or the other functioning and the Lord wants both sides of compassion. We feel sorry for people, we give them sympathy but we do nothing about it. Or we want to help people but we have no sympathy for them. You know, just kind of snap out of it approach to life. Get over it! And I don't think it's God's will that we just waller in other people's pain but we should identify with Him and then do what we can with His help to help them in their struggles. We saw that He gave His disciples healing power and He commanded them to use it. And we saw in the Great Commission, He said, go and make disciples, baptize them, teach them to observe everything I commanded you. I think the uh, modern church kind of misses that part of the Great Commission. When they see the word command, they think the Ten Commandments and and they you know, go on marches and things protesting the removal of Ten Commandments from our public buildings when the New Covenant said that God would come into our lives and write His commands in our heart. So where are the commands of Christ? They're in the Gospels. Read them. They're powerful. And including those commands was command to heal the sick. So if we're to obey the Great Commission, we're to attempt to begin to walk in obedience to that command. And we ended that session by looking at avenues to healing. There's different ways that God heals. He can heal a person through the healing of their relationships. I don't know about you, but if your marriage is messed up, you don't feel too good. As a vet says, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. But when reconciliation takes place, that, that opens the gate to receiving all kinds of things. Another avenue to healing is asking persistently like that widow with the unjust judge, not giving up. Prayer and fasting, believing, coming into agreement with others. And forgiveness is an avenue to healing. Forgiveness is an avenue to the healing ministry in our own lives. 
Years ago, I met an Ethiopian pastor named Tekle Marion. And uh, he, became, he became saved and, and a leader for the Lord in his church in the, in the nation of Ethiopia during the days of, of a cruel regime. They called themselves communists, but they were just a bunch of guerrillas, a bunch of thugs ruling the nation. And he came under intense persecution. And uh, one day his house was surrounded by gendarmes or by terrorists. They call themselves the army. And they hauled all his furniture out of his house and set it on fire and took his baby and threw the baby into the fire. And all Tecla Mary could, could do was just cry, take it, and cry out to God. But later on in his life, he heard that the captain or the leader of that squad that had done that to him had a son that was very ill. And because he had willed and God had enabled him to forgive those people, God used him powerfully to go to the very home of the man who killed his baby and see that man's baby healed. That's powerful. Forgiveness is powerful. We looked at the book of Mark saw that Jesus confirmed spiritual truth by healing the sick. He showed that He had the power to forgive sins. He showed that the Sabbath was made to serve man, not man made to serve the Sabbath. He appointed twelve to preach, heal, and cast out devils. And the book ends with a commission to the eleven, having the twelve having lost one, which included a prophecy that said the people that became believers through their ministry would also lay hands on the sick and see them recover. And we ended that session by looking at obstacles to healing, which basically is the other side of the coin. We talked about avenues to healing, obstacles to healing. Could be bitterness. Could be an offense. I tell you, the strongest offense of all is the offense that you take up for somebody else. Don't ever do that because that's really hard to get over because the person that offended your friend or your child or your, your loved one could work it out with that person and ask for forgiveness, but they would never know to go to you to straighten things out. And you would never go to them because really it was between those two. So when you take up other people's offenses, man, that builds walls in your life. Uh, judgmentalism is an obstacle to healing. Not heeding wise counsel. You know, if you're on medication and the bottle says, don't drink alcohol, you better not do it. And if you do and die, don't blame God. You've got to heed wise counsel. Disobedience to Christ's commands, unhealthy lifestyle, unhealthy relationships, impersistent in prayer, not pursuing whole, wholeness. You know, God just doesn't want us to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. He's in this thing of making disciples, which means He wants to make us whole as people. He wants to heal the whole person. If your heart's broken and He heals that broken heart, that's going to clear up a whole lot of stuff. If you're wounded emotionally and he heals those emotional wounds, that's going to heal. That's definitely going to stop a lot of psychosomatic symptoms that are a result of that. And we mentioned condemning those people that are not healed. Man, that's an obstacle. The elephant in the living room of the charismatic church, and it's called condemning the sick who aren't healed. We'll deal with that in a little, little further on. We saw that unbelief is an obstacle. Demonic oppression is an obstacle. Unforgiveness is an obstacle. A few years ago, Yvette was a substitute teacher and for 
a brief period of time, she several on several occasions was the substitute for the nurse, which, you know, she didn't write prescriptions or anything, but she was just there to give people a place to lay down or whatever. And being an employee of the state or, or of the county, she was forbidden to pray for people. So kids would come to the nursing station ill, or some type of physical ailment, and she would have other students walking down the hallway that she would grab and say, hey, come in here and pray for this person. <laughs> on numerous occasions, she could tell you more about it, on numerous occasions the Lord would lead her to minister forgiveness to the person. A lot of times it was anger at their parents or another student. And when they would forgive, then the student coming in pray for them, they'd see all kinds of neat things happen. So if there's obstacles to healing, we, we've got to pay attention to them. We can't just say, why don't God heal me? There, may be a re there might be a reason. But those obstacles are not all of the answers. So don't ever take a list of obstacles to healing and use it to condemn somebody. All right, That's another obstacle you want to stay away from. Last week we looked at the book of John. We saw that he healed people with just his word. We saw that he healed someone with an illness caused by sin to the man at the pool of Bethesda who was surrounded by sick people. He went and healed that man and when the man was healed, he'd been there for 38 years, he'd been on his back, I guess, or crippled up. Jesus said these words to him after he healed him. He said, sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. Who knows sin has some unhealthy consequences. There's a whole lot of diseases out there that people are blaming the government for not finding a cure for, and it's their own lifestyle that's spreading it. Hello, how dumb can you get and still breathe? We also saw that he healed a man who was born blind, and it was neither this man's sin nor his parents' sin that caused the blindness. And Jesus gave this answer. He said this, basically this is what he said, this man's blind so that he can be healed. <laughs> so that God's works can be demonstrated, he was born blind. That doesn't somehow seem very fair, does it? But God is able to make it up to you. To wherever any difficulty that you have that He may have allowed to happen, when He brings restoration, it's going to be so good, you're not going to mind. That's what heaven's going to be about. In heaven, it will be worth it all. It's going to be worth it all. He's good. After healing that man at the pool of Bethesda and not healing anybody else, Jesus said these words. He says that he only did and said what the Father told him to. Now the book of John ends with these words saying everything Jesus did wasn't recorded. If it was, the world couldn't handle all the books. So maybe he went back there later and cleaned the place out. We don't know. We saw in Acts a man who'd been at the gate, of the, the gate beautiful at the temple who Peter and John healed of lameness and he'd been crippled a long time. And Jesus went to the temple many times. But because he only did what the Father told him to, that guy didn't get healed. But if you read all the recordings of the healings of Jesus, either he went to the person and healed them, or they came to him. Everybody that came to him for healing was healed. The guy at the pool of Bethesda didn't even have any faith to be healed. So this business of telling people, you don't have enough faith, isn't a question of whether or not somebody's healed. Unbelief, which is wrong belief, can hinder healing. If you believe God wants you to be sick, well then, that could be an obstacle. Or if you believe God doesn't heal the sick anymore, that could be an obstacle. But if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can move mountains, he said. 
We also saw that Jesus' miraculous healing ministry did not make believers out of everyone. We even saw an occasion where an audible voice of heaven, from heaven, the Father spoke over Jesus. And the crowd heard it, and some said it was an angel, and others said, oh, that was just unusual thunder. The mind of man is so wicked, it can choose to not believe if it doesn't want to. It'll come up with all kinds of theories. And we ended last Sunday with looking at some questions about healing. And most of the questions deal with um, this issue. If I'm not healed, why do I feel condemned? And we read some letters. We encouraged some letters, read some letters from people and, and gave the answers to the letters. And um, some people are condemned when they're not healed because God wants to heal their heart because they're far too easily condemned. They don't love themselves. They don't feel worthy. They don't... They're either real competitive and if they can't win, then they just fall apart or they, they compare themselves to other people and, and they wrestle with jealousy or inferiority or a lack of love for other people. They don't rejoice when other people are doing well. I think God wants to heal those issues first before any other issues get healed. We also saw that some people feel condemned because Christians condemn them. We've got to deal, if that elephant is in our life, we've got to deal with that because that can boomerang on us. He used to be a guy to come to church here. You didn't dare tell him if you were ill because he just condemned you. Brother, I just claimed the blood of Jesus. I just claimed the blood of Jesus. Well, he had his theology wrong. It's the love of Jesus to heal the sick before he ever shed his blood. His blood was to deal with our sins. And his blood was shed to deal with his sin of pride. It wasn't long, very many years of him doing that to people, for he was hit with a problem. And boy, you talk about a pity party. Decided he could go on disability because of that thing. So therefore, he didn't want to be healed. And boy, anytime you see him, he's, he just talks up a storm about how ill he is. Gone to the other extreme. Some, some Christians condemn others because they're just so zealous. They're so excited that Jesus has healed them. They want you to be healed. There must be something wrong with you that you're not healed. It's their zealousness. One of the letters was from a lady who suffered with an illness for 30 years. It comes and goes. Another one was a, was a very hard question that, that we all wrestle with. The death of a child. How do you explain that? I remember a few years ago we had a baby in the church hanging at death's door. The, the kid had been sick and then had a relapse, a little boy. Fever hit his body. And the temperature went so high that to save his brain, the body does this thing where the blood is cut off to your outer limbs to circulate the blood between your, your lungs and your brain. And it wasn't long before he was in intensive care with black and blue arms and legs and wound up losing one of his legs, but he came out of it. And he's a healthy young man today. They said his brain would be damaged. He's as brilliant a kid as you would ever meet. Said he'd be blind and he sees fine. And when we, we prayed night and day for that kid, and, and the day he lost his leg, we were praying, and I know I heard God say this to my heart, I have heard your prayer. And in my mind's eye, I saw that kid playing soccer with a prosthetic on. And he plays soccer. I'd hate to be kicked by that leg. <laughs> well, there were some people in the church, they just couldn't handle it. They, they began condemning the kid, so we had to have a meeting. The, the, the parents were young. 
So we had to have a meeting with this couple and, and the parents and the couple humbled themselves and asked for forgiveness and they really responded well. But another couple didn't respond so well. We're going to change churches. And they began to condemn me. So I thought, you know, I'm not going to argue with them. So I said, well, I just bless you. You know, hallelujah. Let's sing that hymn. Blessed departures. I just didn't want that nasty attitude in the church. And then I felt ornery and I challenged them to take their glasses off and stomp on them in faith. If they're such great people of faith, let's stomp on your glasses. Of course, they wouldn't do that and they left anyway. But the point is, there is an elephant in the living room of the church called condemning the sick. Now, I have another question that's come to me. And this question is, how can we give wise counsel to the sick without making them feel condemned? We don't want to run off one elephant and let another one take its place. All right? There are obstacles to healing. There are avenues to healing. There is such a thing as wise counsel. And we can't, out of fear of condemning, never tell people, hey, what does a warning label on that product say to you? You know. This anger is not going to help you be healed. So you've got to be able to give people wise counsel. So how can you do it without condemning them? Well, obviously, shame, shame, shame is not a good word to use. I think a real key is to pursue healing for the whole person. Don't just get your eyes on the malady, on the weakness, on the infirmity. This person has been loved by Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for that person. Pursue healing for the whole person. Years ago, I was a doorman at a hotel in Dallas, a very exclusive place called the Crescent. And, um, you know, after you work there, you get to know your regular people, you get to know the vendors, and, and there was a massage therapist that would come there and work on people. And, and uh, this lady had a clunker of a car, and we would have to park it for her. And, uh, one day she was in a horrible wreck and the car was just barely drivable. The steering wheel was twisted and the roof, it was a convertible, so the roof wouldn't come up anymore so there would be water in it. And she was kind of a new age person and she, she had equated God's blessings with money. And on her dashboard was a, a decal of a $100 bill and the words, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom on that. <laughs> Meanwhile, her life is reflecting the opposite. And I, I, I persuaded her to come to church. I said, you really need God in your life. You need the Lord. So she came to church, Shady Grove Church in Grand Prairie. They have a floor mic like we do. And this brother got up and gave the most unusual word. It disturbed the elders of the church. They thought we shouldn't have let him give it. And the next day at the meeting, at the elders meeting, I was able to say, hey, he was right on. And uh, anyway, this was the word. This guy got up and says, The Lord loves you no matter what kind of car you drive. You could drive a clunker of a car. Roaches could live in your car. I mean, he began to describe her car to a T, declaring that God loved her. That ministered to her heart. Then later on in the service, somebody had a word about an injured wrist. God was going to heal somebody who had a wrist that was injured. Her wrist had been injured. It was affecting her career, and it was from that car wreck. So she stood, we gathered around her, and we just prayed up a storm. Two days later, I saw her at work. She says, my wrist is doing much better, but I'm puzzled. She said, I had a growth outside my eye that is gone, and we didn't pray for that. 
Don't you have to believe before these things can happen? <laughs> I say God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. He is showing you that He loves you. He cares about you. Anyway, I'm in Granberry. I don't know how she's doing now, but I know the Lord reached out to her heart first before her wrist. So a person who's ill, you could ask them this question. Are there any other areas before we pray for your illness? Are there any other areas in your life that the Lord might want to make you whole? Is there anything going on in your heart that's keeping you from being more like Jesus? Is there any weak, weakness that we can pray with you about as well? And that can open the door to minister other things. By letting people knocking on the door gently of their heart, letting them open up, rather than saying, shame, 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 blah, 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 labeling, making people feel condemned. Does that help? All right. Book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. This was his home down. This was a custom to do this. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Isaiah 61 is the purpose statement for Jesus' ministry. Can we turn to Isaiah 61? It's very easy to see that he is interested in making people whole. Whole persons. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. Jesus' purpose in His ministry was not just to make people feel better, but it was to make them better, to make them His disciples, to give them beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise for heaviness, to make them trees of righteousness so that God could be glorified. So if you're not healed and none of these obstacles pertain to you, forgive those who've made you condemned 
and keep on growing in the Lord. Keep on growing in Him. And He will be glorified. An example, a modern model to us, to us of a person that has done that is Johnny Erickson Tata. I mean, I heard it just this last week on the radio preaching. To those who are paralyzed by fear, to those who are crippled by discouragement, to those who are quadriplegics due to their wounds and broken hearts, there's hope in Him. Powerful testimony, being a quadriplegic herself. So Jesus proclaimed His purpose statement by quoting from Isaiah 61, and He fulfilled this purpose to everyone who recognized His authority. Look at these passages. Luke 4.31 said that He... Uh, well, looking at Luke 4, they didn't recognize His authority when He quoted this. He grew up there. They thought, who, who does He think He is? And they wanted to kill Him. And He escaped from there for His life. Other occasions, they rejected Him in His hometown. And the Word says He could only heal a few sick people. He could do no mighty work there. So they didn't recognize His authority. Luke 4.31, He goes to Capernaum and there's a whole different response. A city of Galilee was teaching them on the Sabbaths obviously in their synagogues, they were astonished at His teaching for His Word was with authority. So no doubt He read that verse there and they said, Great! Now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. He cried out with a loud voice saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. They were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is! For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. So he's in their synagogues preaching on the Sabbath. They recognize his authority. And then he releases a guy from demons by exercising his authority that they recognized. And they, want, they were amazed at his word. All right, look at Luke 5, verse 15. This report from Luke 4.37 about Jesus went on to every place in the surrounding region. Luke 5.15, however, the report went around concerning him all the more. He tried to kind of quench the report from spreading. And great multitudes came together to hear and be healed. <coughs> In his healing meetings, people came to hear because they recognized his authority and then he healed. So they came to hear and be healed. Luke 6.17 he came down with them, stood on a level place with a crowd of His disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear Him and be healed of their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits and they were healed. And a whole multitude sought to touch Him for power went out from Him and healed them all. So they came not just to be healed. They came to listen. 
There was a recognition of his authority. Luke 7, verse 2 talks about a centurion who had a servant dear to him who was sick and ready to die. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. Verse 6, Jesus is responding to his request. He went with them. Verse 6 of Luke 7 says he was already not far from the centurion's house and the centurion sent friends to him saying this to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority having soldiers under me. And I say to them, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, turned and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And he healed the servant from out there in the yard without the centurion coming to him. Centurion recognizes authority. He said, hey, I've got authority too. I'm under authority and I have authority. I do what the authorities over me tell me to do and the people under me tell me what to do. And I recognize, Jesus, you are under the authority of God and what you say gets done. Recognition of authority. And it happened. Luke 8, 41. Talks about a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue. Right, this guy has some authority, some respectability in the community. He comes to Jesus and falls down at his feet, begging him to come to his house. Why would a man of respectability do such a humiliating thing? He recognizes his authority, man. And he's desperate. He's got a daughter that needs to be healed. He had a daughter about 12 years of age, verse 42. She was dying, and as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Between verse 42 and 49, there's a woman with the issue of blood that touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and she is healed of her infirmity. Verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing she was dead. But he put them all outside. Just get out. Get the unbelief out of the room. Took her by the hand and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned. She arose immediately, and he commanded that she be given something to eat. Recognition of authority. When we are well, when all is going fine, are our hearts eager and hungry to hear Jesus? When we read the words in red, is there a desire for Him to rule in our hearts. Do we recognize His rights, His authority in our own lives? We need to. Other side of the page. Jesus continued His Isaiah 61 purpose in sending out His disciples. 
Luke 9, 1, he called 12 disciples to them, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Verse 8, so they departed, went through all the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So I personally believe in like fashion, those who recognize the authority of the message they were preaching receive the benefits of that message. Luke 10, 1, Jesus appoints 70 others and sends them out two by two to go into every city and place where he was about to go. Verse 8, he said, Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you and heal the sick there and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. Verse 17, The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Salvation is eternal. <laughs> Demons can come back. If they find a person cleaned up and not filled up, they'll bring seven of their friends with them. So don't get excited about authority over demons. Be excited that your names are written in heaven. That's the ultimate purpose of Jesus, to come and redeem humanity, to give us eternal life. Jesus even continued this purpose at His arrest when His disciples forgot it. All right, He told them, hey, it's about healing and proclaiming. It's about preaching and casting out devils. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he gets arrested. They forget about the purpose, man. Forget about this Isaiah 61. And see, Peter drew his sword, we know this from the other Gospels, and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. I don't think Peter was aiming for his ear. I believe I'm going to cut a guy's ear off and teach him a lesson. I mean, he was aiming to kill, so he'd probably swing his sword like this. And the servant ducked and lost an ear. But Jesus answered, Luke twenty-two fifty-one, said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear. This guy was named Malchus. He touched his ear and healed him on the cross. He's praying for the people that are killing him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Here at his arrest, he heals a guy that's there to arrest him. He never lost sight of his purpose. Luke wrote another book called the Book of Acts, and it's the story of the evangelistic church, the Acts of the Church, the Acts of the Apostles. He continued this purpose through his evangelizing church. Look at these amazing stories. Acts 3.2, A certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength so he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Pastor Olin, my pastor, tells a story. When he went to Shady Grove, it was a denominational church. It was traditional. 
And in his first deacon's meeting, he says, hey, I want to teach you all a song. And he began to sing this, you know, Peter and John went to pray. And uh, they said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk, walking and leaping and praising God, walking and leaping and praising God, walking and leaping. He said, isn't that a great song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, there's even hand motions to it. He said, walking and leaping and praising God, walking and leaping and praising God. It wasn't long before they were having a vote to get him out of there. He proclaimed that this miracle opened the door for Peter to preach to thousands again, proclaim the gospel, and this lame man had been there for years. Jesus had walked by this guy and left him there. Why did he do that? Well, the guy didn't ask him. To heal him, he's asking him for alms. And Jesus wasn't out passing out money per se. He was out preaching the gospel and healing those who came to him for healing. But in the heart of God, there's a day I'm going to heal that guy and thousands are going to hear about me after the resurrection. That's what happened. And Acts 5.14 talks about the church growing. Believers were increased, increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed by Peter's shadow. Oh, couldn't that happen today? It would be great, but I think God's power primarily functions out there on the cutting edge of His purposes. This was an evangelistic church. This church was reaching the lost. And when we are in, an, in a mode of evangelism, we see more results. Acts 9.31 Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Spirit, and they were multiplied. Now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So it was the disciples understanding that Jesus was the one doing the healing through them. They were His instruments. The avenues through which He flowed. Acts 14.8 And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Notice, he's listening to the Word. Paul observing him intently, seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Years ago, my father pastored in Bloomington, Illinois. That's where I went to high school. Graduated from Normal Community High School, Normal, Illinois. Town called Normal. Interesting. See newspaper headlines like, Normal Man Beats Wife. Anyway, there was a... Uh, in, in Normal, Illinois, was Illinois State University, ISU. And uh, 
It was a student that went there that started coming to our church, a handicapped girl in a wheelchair. And she came forward for prayer. And my father had a real sense that the Lord was going to heal her. But he said he's going to do it in a way that no man gets the glory for laying hands on you. So, uh, several months later, we're in a revival meeting. Now, this is a hot Pentecostal church, you know. We're in a revival meeting and uh, had an evangelist there preaching. And, and during a time of praise and worship, this girl comes out of her wheelchair leaping all over the auditorium. The place went ballistic, man. And those were, back in the 70s, it was in the hippie days. And a hippie had wandered in off the street. And I went back and met him. And I says, I told him what had happened. And I said, what do you think? He says, hey, there's a lot of energy in this place. Far out, man. <laughs> Acts 19.11 says that Paul, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick. And the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. So he prays over these pieces of cloth and they take them to sick people and they're healed. And he didn't send envelopes with them for an offering. Hello? I am sick and tired of hearing people Saying you gotta, I mean, that one TV evangelist, if he hadn't given $10,000, God wouldn't have healed his son. That's a bunch of bunk. Jesus was healing people for free before the cross. Acts 28, verse 8. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. That's bad stuff. Is anybody hungry? Anybody hungry right now? All right, I'm going to end it for you. This man had the runs. It can dehydrate you. It can kill you. Especially in that day and time before Imodium A.D. or whatever that's called. Paul went into him and prayed and laid hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those in the island who had diseases also came and were healed. This was on the island of Malta where Paul had been out in a storm on the ship and God gave him a word. He says, if everybody stays on board the ship, Nobody died. And so they're on the shore. They're warming themselves by a fire. Paul's helping gather wood to throw in the fire. And out of the wood, he picked up a viper that killed people in a matter of minutes, come out of the bundle of wood that he was carrying and bit him on the hand. Paul walks over to the fire and shakes it off in the fire. And the natives of that island, the Maltese people, said, that guy's a goner. They watched him. And Paul experienced the fulfillment of Mark 16 that said we would take up serpents and they wouldn't hurt us. And he survived that snake bite. And then here he heals this guy and the whole island gets healed. Now, if you ever go to Malta, my sister's been there, there are churches everywhere. They're all Catholic churches. That island converted big time. Of course, during the dark ages other things happened, but it was a powerful thing that happened there and it started with this healing. I don't know about you, but I want us to be persistent saying, God, I want you to use us evangelistically. I want you to use us to reach the lost. 
I'm tired of having to say this to people. If you were to die today, do you know where you'd go? I mean, I'm not making fun of that, but I want to see people heal and that be the convincing point. I don't see any recordings of Paul walking around. If you were to die today, where would you go spend eternity? He just healed them and said, and then they had ears to hear. Or if they had ears to hear, he healed them. I want the Lord to do that through us in our ministry. I think a key to seeing that is accept the same Jesus and his same authority and proclaiming the same Jesus and his same authority. If you've embraced a theology that, that um, said Jesus no longer heals, repent of that. If you embrace a theology that said God makes people sick, repent of that. If that's true, you don't need to go to the doctor because that would be rebellion. And wherever the Lord gives you an open door to go and proclaim His goodness, do it. And pray for the sick people that are there. The guy on the job, what can I pray with you about? There's people that believe in the power of prayer that aren't even going to church here. They send us the prayer request. There's power in prayer. There's power in persistence. And as we saw the other Sunday when we had 30 minutes of healing testimonies at the end of uh, the session we did on the book of Matthew with healing, we saw that Jesus does heal today and He does heal in America. And we need to give Him the glory for that. Get your passport. Make yourself available. Well, I can't afford a plane ticket. Well, you can afford a passport. Get that first. And see what God will do. Because He's into people hearing the Gospel. In the great missionary statement, Oswald Sanders, I think it was, or one of the other fathers of the modern mission movement says no man has the right to hear the gospel twice till everyone's heard it once and there's more people in the world that know about coca-cola than know about jesus it's the truth do go back in the densest of jungles and they're drinking cokes back in there coke amazingly has a product where they're able to go into a country and develop a product using their stuff using their people using their skills and supply that country with soft drinks at prices they can afford those people need to know about Jesus. He's the real thing. And things go better with Him. Stop. Let me end with one other story. Uh, my dad got an opportunity to go preach in Ghana. We were living in, in Liberia. And uh, he went to Ghana and came back with this most amazing story and a picture. And I, I, didn't, I didn't bring it with me. I can't remember where I put it. But uh, he was, there was a, a brush arbor set up in this town square and they asked him to come and preach. And after he preached, he prayed for the sick and then there was going to be more singing and more preaching. And in the prayer line was a man who'd been bent double for years. And my dad said he laid hands on him and prayed a simple prayer and the guy's back began to snap and crackle and pop. And the guy stood up straight and started running. And wouldn't stop running, just back and forth all over the brush armor, creating quite a disturbance, drawing attention to himself. He's just so excited to be running. And that was fine during the singing, but then it was time to preach again. And the guy wouldn't stop being a disturbance. So the ushers grabbed him and said, Sir, you're going to have to sit down. And he said, I've been sitting down too long. Let me run. 
Lord Jesus, set your church free. Lord, this is the hour for the body of Christ to rise up and serve you. Lord, where we've been critical of one another, I ask you, Lord, to forgive us. Make us loving people. Lord, I pray that you use us to reach the lost in this community, in this county, in this state, in this nation, in Mexico, Canada, and around the world. Lord, life is too short, eternity is too long, hell is too hot, and heaven is too good to live lives of pettiness. Lord, lift up our eyes to your purpose. Help us to see that we're to continue your ministry. In Jesus' name, Lord. To continue your ministry. And in that, Lord, I ask you to heal our bodies so that we're strong. So that we can serve your purposes and not our own. Help us, Lord, not to lose sight of that purpose. In Jesus' name. I want to end the service with a time of prayer. For anyone needing prayer, it could be for healing or some other need. But before we do that, I want to proclaim the goodness of God. God loves you. He sent His Son to die for you. He knows everything. He knows that you're here. He knew that you were going to be here before you knew you were going to be here. And He set you up to hear what you heard today. Yet there's some things God doesn't know. He doesn't know of a sin that he doesn't hate. He can't stand sin because it separates man from him. But he doesn't know of a sinner that he doesn't love. So the dilemma is, there's no sinners that God doesn't love. He doesn't know of any. And there's no sin that he doesn't hate. He doesn't know of any sin that he doesn't like. Hate. None are acceptable in his sight. And he doesn't know of any other way to save a sinner whom he loves from the sin that he hates than through a relationship with his son. There's no other way. He knows of no other way. And He knows of no better day to save a sinner whom He loves from the sin that He hates through the relationship with His Son. He knows of no better day for that sinner whom He loves to be saved than today. He loves you. Maybe you've been away from Him. You haven't been walking with Him. He knows of no better day for you to get back on the narrow path than today. Today is the day to follow Him. His command still stands. Repent and follow me. Turn from your sin. Turn to Him and follow Him. Today's